0: Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I'm your host, Matt Rogers. With me, as always, is the man, the myth, the producer. What's up, baby? Eli Adelman, how are you? I'm doing great. You look good. Nice I said, dude. are you losing weight or did you get a haircut? Nah, dude, haircut, dude. Well, it's working it's for you. The, the fat guy weight cut. <laughs> I love it. Dude, I am pumped for today. Today is today's a big day because our, our guest, Seth Gruber, uh, outspoken, pro-life, And this is going to go places. Uh, I'll just ask you the question, Eli, are you pro-life or pro-choice? I am very pro-life. You're very pro-life. Yep. I think me and most of my listeners, or I know me, and most of our listeners are pro-life. The reason I want Seth Gruber on here is I heard Seth for the first time about a year ago at Awaken Church, and man, he says what I want to say, but I don't know how to say it. So I wanted to bring him on for our listeners because he he, he is focused on equipping us, equipping people who uh, believe in pro-life and are pro-life. And he he helps us make a gracious, winsome argument in the marketplace because if we're being honest – uh, most of us are pro-life, but we don't talk about it, and we sure as heck don't talk about it publicly because we're either afraid we're going to get canceled, we're afraid we're going to be labeled, right. or we're afraid we are inadequate to speak of that, especially if we're males, because the way the media is now, it's like, who are you? You're not a female, and you don't even, you know, you don't even have a womb and all, all right. that stuff. Yep. I want to bring Seth on because he is a voice for the unborn. And he is focused on equipping us. And, man, he's an absolute genius when it comes to this. Uh, he is promoted by Pastor Jack Hibbs, Pastor Matt Hubbard, Jürgen Matissius. He's been on Rolling with Charlie Kirk. Uh, he's a Turning Point USA ambassador. And he just finished his tour. And I want to officially bring him on. Welcome, Seth Gruber, to the show. Seth Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm going to get right to it. Uh, First of all, thank you for taking out time of your busy schedule. You're actually on the road right now traveling. I think you're in Washington, D.C., but I'm just going to ask you straight up. What gives you the right to be a voice for pro-life when you are a straight white male that doesn't have a womb?
1: Excuse me. Excuse me, Matt. But did you just assume my gender? You see... (laughs) In the age of Bruce Jenner, that's a very dangerous thing to do, brother. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually about to walk away from this podcast. I'm actually incredibly offended right now. You see, as as one who identifies as a uterus holder, I can testify to the systemic racism and sexism that women like me experience. And, and, and to, to tell you the truth, Matt, I, I always kind of felt like I was born in a woman's body. Um, and I always knew deep down there was a female residing at the deepest levels of my soul and bone. You see, don't you, don't you know, Matt, what you don't understand is that the body means nothing. The body is not the real person. OK, this is why I may have been born with male genitalia. But you see, deep down, I identify as a woman. Uh, and abortion is a woman's right issue. Uh, and so I have the right to speak to this issue. Because I have discovered that the real Seth is actually Sally. And I came out a couple years ago as Sally. Um, and I actually recently came out as transvaccinated as well. Um, I-, I discovered that if I could be a woman inside of a male body, then that means that biology doesn't provide any indicators of who the real person is in the real world. Um, and and OK, so now let's let's get back to reality. This is funny, though, Matt, right? Because we're actually getting at some of the key underlying presuppositions and assumptions of what I call the religion of secular progressivism or secular humanism. Right. And so isn't it funny, right, that, that for decades, the culture of death and the abortion industrial complex, they made their argument for abortion on what um, on what spear, on what talking point, Matt? women's rights this this was the the sort of the point of the argument spear for decades going back to even before roe versus wade before 1973 Mm -hmm. that abortion is a woman's right issue well if 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 there are women's rights in that then that means that there are women right (laughs) and if there are women it means that we can actually know what they are (laughs) but when what 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 katrina jackson the new supreme court justice gets asked last year can you define a woman she says I'm not a biologist. I don't know. <laughs> to which I say, well, I'm not a meteorologist, but I can tell you when it's raining. Right. right? And so it's funny that that now they've inverted themselves, Matt, into these political and, and philosophical pretzels, where now the same uh, political movement that defended abortion because it's a woman's right issue, quote unquote, is the same political movement that's now been pressured into saying that, that there are no such thing as men or women. Because Why? They're they're functioning off of an old religious heresy, Matt, called Gnostic dualism or body self dualism. Wow. Now, listen, you're, 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 if your listeners like, what the hell is going on with this guest? Get him off and do, hit this podcast, Matt. We're, we're going sixty thousand feet, guys, and then we're going to come back down to ten thousand feet okay. where, with the arguments we all live in. But here's why, as Francis Schaeffer, the phenomenal Christian uh, philosopher and apologist, once said, Christians tend to deal in bits and pieces with worldview issues and mm-hmm. ideas. And they don't see the 60,000-foot picture. They don't see the big worldview picture and how all of these bits and pieces of worldviews and ideas actually coalesce and interact. And until you can see the big picture of the culture war or the worldview issues at work in in evangelicalism in America and in our polity, then you're not actually going to be able to deal effectively with these ideas. So so let's go up 60,000 feet. If if, if if the body means nothing, right, which is why Bruce Jenner is now whatever, Caitlyn Jenner, whatever. So men can become women. If that's true, then it means that the body, like our physical bodies, right. Matt, they don't mean anything. They don't provide any indicators for who the real person is in the real world. And this is an old heresy that goes back centuries, Matt, mm. centuries. There were old Gnostic Christians that, that the church actually ended up dismissing and labeling their view as a heresy who said the same things. The body is evil because it's prone to sin. The flesh is evil. The real person is our soul, our thoughts, our consciousness and right. our desires. The body is kind of, they believed it's sort of like a shell that houses the real person. Right. <laughs> Are you getting me? Yes. So that means that what Matt, it means you've never hugged your mother. Um, it means that you've never shaken my hand because you can't hug or shake thoughts, aims, consciousness, and desires, right? right. The real person is this intangible, ethereal thing and the body's just the shell for that. That's the underlying weird, kooky, heretical, anthropological view of the human person that animates transgenderism, okay? So we so we can have fun with this by saying, well, then, then I identify as a woman, right? The, the, you see, the whole worldview gets sort of inverted and, and we see it for the ludicrous nature that I think it really is. But if a man can become a woman because the body provides no rational basis for who the real person is in the real world, then I can also identify, Matt, as transvaccinated. You see, while I've never received the Fauci ouchie, I always knew and felt that there was a vaccinated person at the deepest recesses of my fa- soul. I mean,
0: it's fascinating. Be- you talk like you this. know,
1: because remember, biological realities provide no rational basis for who the real person is in the real world. Physical realities are not the real person. The flesh is not the real person. It's the self-identifying soul Um that's intangible, all right. But, but the mRNA, experimental jab, and all this stuff, those are all physical realities. When you got the jab, if someone got the jab, that's a physical reality, right? right. And, and so listen, if I—if a man can become a woman, then an unvaccinated person can identify as a vaccinated person. Now we're going full circle back to the abortion issue. You get ready, I'm going to connect it all. The same worldview that animates transgenderism also animates the pro-abortion worldview. It's the same worldview, They believe that the body does not provide a rational basis for who the real person is in the real world. The body doesn't provide any signals for who people are. It's just your thoughts, your aims, your consciousness, and your desires. Mm -hmm. And so, because the baby in the womb is not developmentally advanced to be able to have cognitive desires and consciousness, then the left believes that there's not a quote unquote person in the womb yet. It may be a human because it has human parents. Mm -hmm. And the law of biogenesis states that all living things reproduce after their own kind, Matt. So guess what? Elephants can only procreate elephants. Dogs can only procreate dogs. And a man and a woman can only procreate, wait for it, a human being. So they'll admit that the unborn is a human, but they'll say, but real people or persons are your thoughts, your aims, your consciousness, and your desires. And the baby's not developed enough, they argue, to have consciousness or desires yet so therefore it's not a quote unquote person so I I just want your listeners as as we sort of start the show off Matt to see the underlying worldview assumptions that animate so many let's call them let's call them um branches off of the tree of secular humanism. Mm -hmm. and whose roots are really satan himself whose roots go back to the first lie in genesis 3 to tell eve hey eat the apple because god's closing your eyes and if you if you eat the apple your eyes will be open Mm -hmm. and then you'll be like a god right that ultimately secular humanism is man's attempt to remake himself in his own image it's it's an alternative creation story really and so if 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 gnostic dualism is true matt then it means are you ready for this it means that if a psychiatrist uh, cured multiple personality disorder, he'd be guilty of mass homicide. Because someone with multiple personality <laughs> disorder, each personality would have different thoughts, aims, consciousness, and desires. But according to the Gnostic dualism, Secular progressives. The real person is not the body; it's their thoughts, aims, consciousness, and desires. So that means a person with multiple personality disorder has multiple people in them. Which means if you help cure someone of multiple personality disorder, you've committed mass homicide. We all know that that's asinine and stupid. Right. And so when when the consequences of your ideology slap you in the face, don't blame your political opponents for pointing out the irrational nature of your worldview. Blame your own worldview. Blame your own ideology. So we have many reasons to reject this kooky view called Gnostic dualism, that real people are their thoughts and the body's a shell for the real person. But it's the same worldview that animates both transgenderism and abortion today. So to go back to your question, how dare you assume my gender? (laughs) That was your short
0: answer. I'm going to get straight to this because you wrote this. (laughs) You had this on your Instagram, and this is a very uh if, if I'm talking as the world, a very judgmental and a very uh one-sided opinion when you said abortion is the demonic partnership with Satan. how can you say that? What
1: do you mean by that? Well Matt uh child killing to kooky ancient pagan deities goes way back to the first generations immediately after Adam and Eve. So listen, secular progressivism is not progressive, it's regressive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing modern or new or progressive about sacrificing babies to the sun god and mother earth mm. with the belief that your life will be improved you'll be blessed and you'll get to live just a little bit longer Jeez. that's a very ancient kooky view and that's the and same reason should- like we're saving
0: li- like the most bizarre thing i've heard him say we're saving lives by allowing women to have abortions because and then they'll use the small percentage of women that have to kill the baby <laughs> to live
1: right well, actually, so so let's let's actually address that one really quick, brother, since you brought it up because it's so popular. Okay, because it's so popular. Um, and then and then I'll I'll quickly get back to your other question about abortion being the demonic partnership with the spirit of the age and the Lord of Flies. Um th- there are a lot of squishy pro-lifers, even that I meet, Matt, mm-hmm. um, who who claim to be pro-life, but then they have these carve-outs or exceptions, right? It's like it's like I'm against spousal abuse, except when a man really feels the need to beat his wife. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, oh then I don't think you're really pro-life. Like I'm pro-life. Except except when like a mother really needs to kill her baby. Yeah. Uh, listen, abortion is never medically necessary to save the life of the mother. And, and uh, the propaganda and indoctrination map that the, the um, activist media, I, I call them journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death, mm-hmm. but, but the, that the activist media and the uh, liberal establishment, right? Cause the liberal establishment is the universities, it's academia, it's the news. It's the, I mean, it's everywhere, right? the, the, the The success that they have had in causing even pro-lifers to believe that sometimes you have to perform an abortion when when mom has a life-threatening pregnancy is – it is incredible. I I just got back from – I'm actually – I'm in D.C. right now, but last week I was in Arlington, Virginia, and I had a last-minute request from a big Catholic high school in Arlington. Then I I was like, I'm I'm packed through May, but okay, here, if if you pay for me and my son to come, maybe I'll say yes. So we did it. It was like (laughs) – maybe 1500. I mean, a big Catholic high school. Okay. Just outside of DC. And uh, I said this from the, from the stage to this Catholic high school, I said, abortion is never medically necessary to save moms' life. And the students there who are supposed to be Catholic, right? They're shaking their heads. Like, no, 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 no. I've had pro-lifers tell me yeah. I'm lying when I say this. So, so l- let's just address this for your pro-life listeners to be equipped to deal with this. Okay. Let's, let's entertain the pro-choicers, um, super minority of cases where mom might die if the pregnancy continues and it is a super minority by the way okay you can go to the gutmacher institute named after alan gutmacher the president of planned parenthood from the 70s it's a pro-abortion statistical research branch and they they report that that abortions performed to save mom's life quote unquote uh these account for one percent or less of the total annual abortion so i get what so okay let's let's give them that argument and assume it just for a second right um Is abortion the only way to end pregnancy, Matt? No. No. What's the other way to end a pregnancy? Uh, Delivery? If if mom's (laughs) going to die because um, of the dangerous nature of the pregnancy, you don't perform an abortion to save mom's life. That's asinine. That's more dangerous for mom than delivery is. You deliver the baby early through Pitocin. You induce labor with Pitocin. Or you perform a cesarean section, a C-section. And guess what? Guess what? You pro abortion Moloch servile, you propagandist, that's safer for mom than the abortion would be. So for people who say, hey, I'm pro life, but I gotta support abortion when mom's life is endangered because I I I wanna care for the baby and the mom, and we can't make mom die forcing her to carry a child that's gonna take her life. Yo, yo, that abortion that you're defending to save mom's life is actually more dangerous for that mother's life and health than delivering the baby early would be. Now, there's this study that the pro-aborts use, Matt. I've covered it on my podcast, Unaborted. Um, You you guys go check it out. Unaborted because we're all unaborted, right? Right. Um, Every pro-choicer is very grateful that her mother was not exercising her right to choose. Uh, Anyways, uh, so uh, there's this study that – there's only one study, by the way, that the pro-abortion industrial complex has pointed to for years. To what to argue that actually, Matt, you stupid Republican pro life conspiracy conspiracy theorist, Rube, don't you know <laughs> abortion is actually safer for mothers than childbirth is? Oh, now, now, before we look at the at the study, anyone who doesn't have their head so far up their own rectum that it's coming out their face again should be able to acknowledge how ludicrous that statement is, right? I mean, j- just just use your common faculties of reason for one second. Do you really think? That sticking a suction vacuum catheter tube up the mother's uh, uterus while trying not to rip through her uterine lining, which is like wet tissue, and then sectioning the limbs off of the baby, and then and then by the way, you got to take a curette and you got to carve out the rest of the pieces, make sure there's no there's no floating dead baby pieces in mom's uterus from the abortion, which makes her susceptible to sepsis and death. Or if the baby's more developed and they don't fit through a suction vacuum tube anymore, you take forceps. And you dilate the cervix and you stick those forceps blind, usually, by the way, they're not doing it with an ultrasound, blind, trying not to rip through her uterine wall again. And then you you tear off the limbs of the child and sometimes perforate the mother's uterus, making her infertile for the rest of her life. Yeah, come on. Are you really telling me you actually believe that that's safer for mothers than what every woman has been going through for all of human history uh, delivery? So, I mean, just just like putting the data and the science and overused word in the last few years aside we should be able to acknowledge that that's not safer for mom. But this study claimed to have found that 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 abortion was 14 times safer than childbirth for mothers. <laughs> and there's many reasons why it's flat. I've done whole episodes on it. So so listen, the, the point is this. Um, uh, you can almost always save the life of both mother and child um, in America today. It's an amazing thing. If you're a young woman listening to this and you have dreams of becoming a mother and having kids, you have less fear of losing your life due to pregnancy than any other female in all of human history. And that's something to celebrate, living in America in 2023. So the the solution is not to kill the child, the solution is deliver the baby early. And because we're saving babies at earlier and earlier developmental stages now, Matt, um, if you can get the baby to 23, Mm -hmm. 24 weeks, then even if that pregnancy is super dangerous to mom and she's on bed rest, if you can get the baby to that developmental stage, you can probably deliver the baby save mom's life and save the child as well now in the super 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 rare cases mm-hmm. where the preg where the baby has to be delivered or mom will die then you deliver the baby and you do the best to save the baby's life but that's very different than intentionally ripping right. the child apart in the womb and then the last circumstance would be ectopic pregnancies when the you know the baby implants in the fallopian tube mm-hmm. and not the uterus yep. and then the pro-choicers use that to try to to try to strict pro-lifers into thinking that there are carve-outs where we support abortion, but there isn't because that's not an abortion. Abortion properly defined is the intentional killing of an innocent human being in their mother's womb. When you remove the baby in the fallopian tube, you perform a salpingectomy or a salpingostomy, which means you either create a small incision in the fallopian tube and you remove the baby. um, And then mom keeps both fallopian tubes. Or if you can't do that, you remove one of mom's entire fallopian tubes. Either way, That's not an abortion, and it's not titled an abortion. That's not the surgical title for it or name for it because it's not an abortion. Um, So it's better to act to save one life, Matt. Right? Mm -hmm. Then refuse to act and lose two lives. In an ectopic pregnancy, if you don't do anything, that baby will will grow. It will it will expand. Mom's fallopian tube will burst. She'll bleed out internally, and the baby will die. So if you don't do anything, two people die. So it's better to remove the baby. To save mom's life, than do nothing and lose two lives. So, okay, okay, we debunked the whole abortion is sometimes necessary to save mom's life. Wait, so wait, go, Going go back,
0: ahead. going back to that uh, pregnancy. So, are you saying that in that case, you do want to make that small incision and remove the baby from the fallopian yeah, tube?
1: Do. Yeah, you have to. Yep, because if you don't, the baby and the mom will die. Um, if you if you don't perform a salpingectomy or a salpingostomy to remove the baby in the fallopian tube in an ectopic pregnancy. So are, pro-choicers, medical,
0: are pro-choicers cheering right there when they hear you say that? Like, yes, yeah, see, we won one with him.
1: So here's, yes, sometimes. Because here, they, they, they <laughs> <laughs> secular progressivism really does rot the brain, Matt. That, that's really the answer. Liberalism right. really does rot the brain. It really kills brain cells. Uh, and so, so they failed to uh, draw distinctions between fundamental, um, moral concepts that you and I understand as sort of a gut level. Okay. And that would be killing or letting die. That would be the difference there. So, so am I actively killing? Okay. Let's ask it this way. What's the intention by the doctor, Matt? What is the doctor's intention Mm -hmm. in removing a baby in the fallopian tube in an ectopic pregnancy? What's the doctor's intention to save the mother's life, to save the life of the mother. What's the intention in every abortion to kill the baby? There you go. So if we don't do anything, mother and child die. So the death of the child in an ectopic pregnancy is a foreseen but unintended consequence. We don't intend the child's death. We intend to save the mother's life. And the byproduct of that, unfortunately, is that the child dies. Because if you don't do anything, you actually lose two lives. Okay, this is very simple <laughs> philosophy here. But again, liberalism rots the brain. So they failed to distinguish between those two. Um, so in, in an abortion, you're killing. Uh, in in a situation where the baby's delivered early or removed from the fallopian tube in a ectopic pregnancy, but you're letting the child die. You're not actively killing them. Um, and if and then in a in a normal pregnancy where the the, the pregnancy is going to take the mother's life, if the baby's at twenty weeks and can't survive but has to be delivered now to save mom's life, in these super rare cases, then you still deliver the baby, but you're not actively killing the baby. Right. Um, that, that killing versus letting die. It's a very simple concept for people who. Who uh, who haven't been sipping on the uh, the Biden inflation flask for the last three? <laughs> and years. And what so. they do is so, they hey, they so manipulate the that, that
0: is is they put abortion and the ectopic pregnancy in the same category, right? When it's not, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, they call it an abortion. Exactly right, Matt. They actually treat that as an abortion, and so they go, "Ha ha, gotcha, pro lifer." you do support abortion. See, you support abortion in the case of ectopic pregnancy. It's not an abortion. (laughs) Okay. So
0: got it. Here's what I. your
1: question was, uh, partnership with Satan, but I'll, I'll defer to you.
0: No, I want to get back to that. So how can you say abortion is here's, I want to learn how to say this because I know a lot of family members follow me, but I'm just going to say it the way I feel like what trips me out about people that I grew up with in church family members that we came from the same family um, worship the same God had the same experiences, but now somehow life has gotten to them. And on one hand they say, yo, I am a Christian, but I'm also pro choice, which is impossible. It's an oxymoron. You can't sorry, because they're two different things. I know when they listen to this, they're going to say, How can this guy say abortion is the demonic partnership with Satan? So I wanted to, I wanted to set that up for you. Why do you say that? Because it's fascinating Mm -hmm. to me. And I agree with you 100%. I just wish I could explain it the way you explain it. And that's why I love having you on, because I feel like you're giving us a voice and more so teaching us how to say these things and how to have these arguments. So, Why do you say abortion is the demonic partnership with Satan? Because that is thick.
1: Well, Matt, I mean, I'm a Christian. Okay. (laughs) Don't doubt my salvation or faith. (laughs) I just believe Mary had a fundamental woman's right issue to murder my savior. Oh, wait, wait, that, wait, wait. You see, do you guys see now why Matt just said that that's an oxymoron? Those two things cannot partner together what what does the scriptures say you know what what partnership has righteousness right with wickedness salt water and fresh water can't both flow out of the same spring you'll know a tree by its fruits i mean we could go down and down the list um if you are a pro-choice christian whatever the hell that means and i use the <laughs> word hell quite intentionally uh, wh- whatever being a pro-choice christian means matt if if that's a thing at all then you are required to say this statement are you ready if you're a pro-choice christian to be ideologically consistent, you must say this. You must say that Mary had a fundamental natural right to murder Christ in the womb. Because if abortion is a woman's right issue, then it, it, it has always been the right of every woman. If abortion is a woman's right, then it's a natural right. You, you, you guys need to understand well, when we talk about rights, la- the, the language of rights, there are different kind of rights, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are positive rights. And there are natural rights. A positive right is a, it's a legal right. Okay, so like the the right to drive, right? That's yep. a legal right. Were you born at birth, Matt, with a natural right to drive a car? No, yeah. it's 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 a legal right. And 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 we say, hey, until you're 16 or 15 and a half for a permit, 16 for, for a license, you can't drive. Right? Is drinking a natural right? Uh, no, it's a legal right. Okay. Um, here's an example. Um, if i'm visiting london um i don't have the right to vote in the next british election because i'm not a citizen of that fine nation mm-hmm. however i still have the right to not be gunned down in the street the next time i visit london right do you see that's the difference between a natural right and a positive or legal right okay mm-hmm. so so when people use the language of rights when you hear the left okay or the pro abortion industrial complex say that abortion is a woman's right what I need you guys to understand and grasp is they're using the language of natural law or natural rights. They're not saying that this right to abortion is a legal right. And how how do we know this? Because when Roe v. Wade got overturned and states started passing their own pro-life laws, they said that that was the most greatest and extreme threat to freedom and democracy. (laughs) So they're saying, what? That women have that right irrespective of what the state says. Are you guys following? Yep, that that makes sense. So they're saying... This is a natural, natural right. It's a it's a right that comes from being human. So let's have a little fun with this. Um, <laughs> if abortion is a natural right, a right that springs from our nature as human beings, then the abortion advocate had that right from the moment they began to exist. The moment of conception. <laughs> so according to the logic of abortion advocates, unborn women do not have a right to life, but they do have the right to an abortion. That's crazy. Let me me say that again. You guys should be scratching your head right now. Right? Uh, And Hadley Arcus points this out in his book, Natural Rights and the Right to Choose, and he does philosophical backflips with this. But according to the logic of abortion advocates, unborn women, unborn females, do not have a right to life. But they do have a right to an abortion, (laughs) which is ludicrous because how could human rights exist where the right to life doesn't? If you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right, right? Right. There's a reason why our founders said we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh, I wonder why they picked that order, Matt. Um, Maybe because the right to liberty and property don't mean much. In fact, they mean nothing at all if you can be murdered. And so so it's funny. when, When they use this language of rights, they're saying it's a human right. So so according to abortion advocates, it's a human right to take human life, Inno, innocent human life. We're not talking about rapists or murderers on, on, on death row. It's a human right to take innocent human life. Uh, if, if that doesn't make your mind go crazy. bonkers, then, yeah. then I don't, I mean, it should, it should make your mind go bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. So that they're using the language of rights. Okay. So that's the first thing we should point out. Um, so if, if abortion is a woman's natural human right, then it means what? that that right is not time-bound. That right has always existed, which means that Mother Mary had that right too. So how dare you claim to be a Christian? How dare you have just celebrated Christmas last month? How dare you celebrate Advent and worship the prenatal deity? Let me say that again, Matt. The prenatal deity who entered human history in a uterus, to redeem mankind from their sins. How dare you worship that savior and call him Lord when your own ideology maintains that his mother had the right to murder him in the womb. Jeez. Murder the creator who was at that point creating and knitting himself together in the womb because Jesus is the second member of the Trinity at the moment of conception, not at the moment of birth, which is why the prenatal John the Baptist, the voice in the wilderness is doing backflips in the uterus when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth and the the prenatal divinity of the fetal Christ causes the prenatal John the Baptist to do backflips in the womb, who is at that moment knitting the prenatal John the Baptist together in the womb, because that is God in the womb, which means that he's knitting himself together in the womb, which means he's knitting himself together in in a uterus of a woman that he once knit together when he knit together Mary in the womb of Mary's mother. That's the incarnation. Welcome to Christianity. If you support abortion as a Christian, you're partnering with Satan. And here's why Satan has always been behind the killing of babies, Matt. He's the dragon in revelation waiting for Mary to give birth so he can eat, eat Crazy. the baby Christ. He's behind the killing of babies by Herod in Bethlehem and by Pharaoh in Egypt. And we understand, because there's only one God, Matt, that every other small g God is not actually a different God, right? Like Baal and Moloch were not actually alternative deities. They were Satan masquerading as a little bronze statue. And who was Baal and Moloch, Matt? The pagan gods of baby sacrifice. Uh, and then here's the last thing for Christians, okay, who claim to support abortion. Uh, in Luke 1, in Luke one, um, when Mary visits Elizabeth, right, the scene we just described, brother, and it says the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. That's what it says in Luke 1. The Greek word used to refer to baby leaping, John the Baptist leaping, is the Greek word berephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S, berephos. Okay? Turn to Luke 2, one chapter later, and Jesus is born. Jesus is now an infant. Jesus is no longer in the uterus. And it says Mary laid baby Jesus in the manger. The Greek word used to refer to baby Jesus already born is the same Greek word for wrappeth. <laughs> oh, look at that, Matt. The authors of scripture who we are told were written as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit chose to use the same word to refer to a baby in the womb That's as awesome. a baby outside the womb. awesome. Oh, for Christians and pastors, Matt, who would also see no distinction in value, dignity, worth, and a right to life between the baby in the womb and the baby outside the womb.
0: Uh, I'm glad you said that because that leads me to one of your quotes. And then I'm going to ask you a question about silent pastors who are silent on abortion because this is such a passion for you and you speak out about it so well. Uh, You said, this is your quote, If Christ spoke up for us as our advocate when we were utterly incapable of doing so, this makes me want to cry. How can we not speak up for the preborn children who are literally unable to speak for themselves? I'm going to say that again. If Christ spoke up for us as our advocate when we were utterly incapable of doing so, how can we not speak up for the preborn children who are literally unable to speak for themselves? What do you say to Christian pastors, evangelical pastors, famous pastors that are silent on abortion?
1: Well, I think my my friend and earthly hero, Pastor Jack Hibbs, actually put it better than perhaps I've ever heard someone put it. So I, I've had lots of thoughts on the question you just asked, but but Jack is such a hero and, and brother so dear to me. And when he put it this way, at the Turning Point USA Faith Pastor Summit in Coronado last August, um, the room was, I, I mean, I watched the video I wasn't there live in person, but the room went quiet and Jack and I talked about on an Instagram live later. And he's like, I, I had not planned to say that. I think the Lord gave me those words in that moment. He said, if pastors cannot speak out against prop one, as California prepares to write abortion through point of birth into the California state constitution, you have surrendered your pulpit. You have walked away from your authority and your mantle has fallen off. I, I don't know if I could if I could put it quite better than that. Christian, do you understand? Do you understand how close the orphan is to the heart of your father? It says, pure and undefiled religion is this, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. Care for orphans and widows in their distress. Why? Why the orphan, Matt? Why, does Christ, why is the orphan so close to the heart of Jesus? Well, I think the answer is quite simple. An orphan's life is endangered because their parents are dead, right? They have no one to protect them. Who's their protector? The orphan's life is particularly endangered, and therefore all that more deserving and wanting of protection because their parents are dead. How much more? Should we care for the orphan in the womb whose life is endangered, not because his parents are dead, but because his parents want him dead? Jeez. That is why the orphan in the womb is so close to the heart of the father. This is a gospel issue. Jesus could have chosen to enter human history as a 30-year-old man, Matt. He chose to enter our time and space and dirt in a process he really reveres. Wow. A process he considers sacred yep. and holy. He chooses to identify with you Christian at your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. Takes on fetal fetal flesh and is fully God and fully human at the moment of conception. And then you Christian, you say that 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 his blood washes you clean. That that you're the blood-bought bride of Christ. That the gospel is that he died for you. He laid down his life for you. What does 1 John say? Um, uh, We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. What's an advocate? Someone who speaks up for someone else. (laughs) So Christ is constantly pleading our case before the Father. Because of Calvary, he's our advocate now, right? How could you possibly, after being saved and redeemed and forgiven, far from refusing to be an advocate for the most vulnerable amongst you, you actually sanction their slaughter. You you actually vote for the party whose platform issue is to wipe out babies in the womb, to fund it with your tax dollars. Oh, and by the way, what happened last week, Matt? What happened last week? Oh, right. They propose the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act again. Now, if you guys don't know what this is, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. What does it mean? If a baby is born alive during a failed, botched abortion and the baby is now here, the abortion failed. You, you can't kill the baby. <laughs> That's what the legislation says. You have to give that baby the same level of medical and treatment and care as any other baby would receive born at the same gestational age under similar circumstances. You have to transfer the baby to a hospital because guess what? Uh, abortion centers are usually not equipped to take care of life. They're actually built to destroy it. So you have to transfer the baby to a hospital to care for the baby. And then if anyone at that abortion center, Matt, kills that baby or fails to adequately care for that baby – they'll be prosecuted under penalty of law. Okay, so in 2019, the Republicans proposed the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Every Democrat in the House voted it down except two. Every Republican in the House, I believe, voted for it. They brought it back last week, Matt, last week. Want to know how the votes went? Every Republican in the House supported it, and only one Democrat in the House supported it. The entire Democrat House said no. Except one. No, if a baby an infant already outside of the freaking uterus, writhing around expecting the warmth of their mother's body and breasts, survives a failed abortion, we should not have laws, federal federal laws on the book, not state law. We should not have federal laws on the book that require the protection and care for that child. This is the party of death. This is the party of Satan and his appetite for human blood will never be satiated. You partner with Satan. When you fund, defend, celebrate, and support the slaughter of babies in the womb, in the same location that your Savior entered human history in to redeem mankind from their sins. The location that your vote has made so dangerous for other children, in the same location created in the image of that prenatal deity.
0: I'm
1: speechless.
0: So, simple answer, simple question. Can you be a Christian and vote Democrat?
1: Yeah, good question, brother. I mean, I think that's the natural question to ask next, so that makes sense. Uh, Here's the answer I've always given, Matt, and for your listeners. Um, I believe that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? That's what the Bible says. Um, I believe that we're constantly um, being made more perfect, (laughs) right? right? We're never going to be perfect until we're in heaven, but we're being transformed, right? Um, (laughs) And so we're constantly siphoning off Old ways of thinking. And if you were raised in a pagan humanistic culture or family, and then you come to the Lord, there's going to be a lot of ideas that have to be siphoned off as as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is what I've always said when I get this question. Yes, you could be a blood-bought, redeemed son or daughter of the king and vote for a Democrat. But you cannot continue doing that. Yes, you can be a blood-bought, redeemed son or daughter of the king and look at porn. But you cannot continue doing that. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? We could yeah. do this with anything. Yep. Um, so you need to repent. <laughs> right. You need to repent and you need to you need to stop partnering with wickedness. That That's the answer. So yes, you could be for some season. Uh, but boy, you better wake up, brother. You better wake up, sister. That's you better stop answer. doing that. Christ says, to whom much is given, much is required. You have been given more than you could possibly imagine in America, where we the people are the sovereign. Yep. Self-government means that the political leaders serve at our pleasure and consent. At least that's how it's supposed to be, brother. That's a podcast for another time. And that's what that's how we need to get back to in, in, a, in a in a very real way, which means that the laws on the books and the people who rule you are your responsibility. Mm-hmm. So if there are laws that allow the slaughter of the unborn, they're happening on our watch, Matt. And so we actually have more responsibility to our King for this Republic than other people ever had at other, at other points in the political history of the world, because this is the most unique Republic ever. We, the people are the sovereign and it means we're more responsible because me, we have more power.
0: Let me flip that. Cause obviously I vote Republican. I don't think I've ever voted a Democrat in my entire <laughs> life. Speaking as a, Speaking for them, can't they use the same argument against us and pick apart the bad things about Republicans (laughs) and say, how can, how can you be a Christian and vote
1: for, you know? Yeah.
0: Good question. A Republican. Yeah. Good question.
1: I'm not a Republican because I'm a Christian. I'm a Republican because that's the only political party that's reasonably available to promote righteousness and withhold wickedness. There is no other party available to Christians, Matt, currently that that, and, and I don't want to hear about these little, you know, independence or green party. I don't want to hear about these other things. There's only one party that actually provides political possibilities. Right. Aristotle said politics is the art of is the art of the possible. There's only one political party available to Christians that gives us any likelihood of withholding wickedness and promoting righteousness. And listen, I hate the GOP. Are you freaking kidding me? That party has become such a joke. The grand old party, GOP, Lincoln's party. Are you kidding me? What a joke it is today. Mm -hmm. So I'm no political hack. I'll rip both sides of the aisle all day. I'm happy to do that. Mitch McConnell, are you kidding me? What's the dude from Utah that ripped Mitt, Mitt Mitt Romney? <laughs> I mean that Mitt Romney should be like an acceptable curse word in Christianity. Like, oh dude, I, I Mitt Romney did. That guy is like the, the <laughs> that guy is like what C.S. Lewis meant when he said a man without a chest. I despise Mitt Romney right. and everything he stands for and how he caves at all of the moments that he's needed the most right. to promote righteous legislation. So listen, I'll, I'll rip the GOP all day. Um listen, there's no perfect political party though. Okay. So listen, Jesus Christ ain't coming on Air Force One. Okay. So he's not on the ballot, Christian. So so stop with your pious, self-righteous flatulence about, I can't vote for the Republican, Matt, because I'm a Christian. And that guy, the only Republican option, I read a really nasty thing you once said in the Washington Post. Shut up, dude. You're voting for a sinner either way. Goodness gracious. Politics is not electing pastors it's electing politicians and you only usually have two viable major options depending on the election. So you vote for the one that promotes righteousness and withholds wickedness in so far as you can given current political realities. I love That's that the answer. answer.
0: All right. I only have a short time with you left and I want two really important questions. Can you give me a three and a half minute education background on planned parenthood? Tell me about Planned oh, Parenthood and why you think Planned Parenthood is racist, because most people who support Planned Parenthood would go the opposite way and be like, you're insane. Planned Parenthood's the farthest thing from racist. And so, but yeah. can you do it in three and a half minutes? Because I don't have a lot of time with you. Is that even possible?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's try it. So you guys can go watch my message on my YouTube channel or on real life Jack Hibbs YouTube channel, uh, my, my White Rose Resistance message at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills from November. It's an hour and 20 minutes, and I will fire hose you for all 80 minutes, um, and you will leave like a pro-life ninja. Um, but uh, Planned Parenthood was founded by Margaret Sanger. It was called the American Birth Control League in 1921. It was later renamed Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger was not a racist in the way that we think of racism today, Matt. Uh, and, and Planned Parenthood has long deflected um critiques of racism by saying, look, we got a bunch of black people on our board of directors. We hire a bunch of black people in our centers. Oh, and by the way, today in 2023, Alexis McGill Johnson, the president of Planned Parenthood, is black or half black. And so they say, how can we be racist? Margaret Sanger was not a racist in the way that we think of the KKK. She believed in something called scientific racism. And scientific racism is the belief. Well, it's eugenics. Okay. Scientific racism is eugenics. It's the belief that there are certain genes and qualities um, that are good and some that are bad. And so we want more of the good people and less of the bad people. So if you have like a generation of alcoholism or addiction or criminal classes or you're mentally or physically disabled, these would be the kind of genes and qualities that Margaret Sanger would want to purge from the human stock. From the And so so it actually is more dangerous than how we think of racism today, Matt, because what? It opens up anyone to being dehumanized and eliminated. Right. So there, there were white people, Slavs, Jews, Italians, Blacks, the list goes on and on and on and on some of whom Margaret Sanger wanted to reproduce and some of whom she she wanted to stop from reproducing. So scientific racism is actually far more evil and sinister than the way that we think of just racial racism today. Right. Um, and so she, she was a true demon. She was a true revolutionary. She was a Marxist. She was a communist. Um, and she started titillating the masses through sexual liberation um, writings and birth control, opened up an illegal birth control clinic in the Brown section of New York in like 1916 was indicted on three counts for lewd distribution of sexual material. Instead of getting arrested, she flees to England. She meets the Neo-Malthusians, which refers to Thomas Malthus, who was the Anthony Fauci of the 18th century, the fall of the science eugenicist. Um, And he is where we get the overpopulation theories from today. So, you know, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and George Soros and all of these billionaires who are obsessed with like, there's too many people on planet Earth so we need to reduce the population. That goes back to Thomas Malthus. Margaret Sanger believed in that. Uh, Margaret Sanger had a board member uh, named Lothrop Stoddard who wrote a book called The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. Um, He wrote another book called The Rise of the Underman, The Menace of the Underman. And get this, Matt, the, the, the English term Underman translated into German is Untermensch. And Adolf Hitler's Chief racial theorist Alfred Rosenberg appropriated the German term Untermensch from the English version of Margaret Sanger's board member's book, The Menace of the Underman. Untermensch in German is translated subhuman and was used to refer to the Jews and was the title of Heinrich Himmler's famous Nazi propaganda book, Untermensch. In short, the Nazis got the term subhuman to refer to the Jews from the English version of Margaret Sanger's board members book Mm. and her list of friends. I could do this all day, go, go on and on and on. She was a racist. She was a eugenicist. She, she once said that eugenics without birth control seems to us a house built upon the sands. It is at the mercy of the rising streams of the unfit, meaning some people are fit to live. Some, some people are unfit. to live. So we need to use birth control. To encourage some people to have more kids and some people to not have kids because those people over there ew, we don't want them to reproduce so this is the legacy of the american birth control league later renamed planned parenthood
0: let me ask you your views on birth control what are they
1: no oh boy you really that's an entire other episode oh my goodness you really <laughs> opened up a can of worms on me in the last few minutes matt um well there's bir- so many things up- i can want to go with you but okay well then, have me back on. We'll do another hour. We'll have yes. Um, w- w- guess who came? Guess who coined the term birth control? Who? Margaret the Sanger. It's where we get the term. So, listen, Is for any Christians Sanger? listening, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for any Christians listening who are like they they love birth control, they use it. They think it's a great way to plan parenthood, <laughs> to plan family, to plan your children, and and you know how far apart they are and how many you're going to have. Blah 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 blah. Listen. I'm not. I'm not going to try to debunk all of birth control right now. I'm just going to say, does it concern you at all, Christian, that the woman who coined the freaking term is the founder of Planned Parenthood? That should like that should maybe like rub you the wrong way a little bit, okay? Uh, The woman who literally said eugenics without birth control is a house built upon the sands because it's at the mercy of the rising streams of the unfit. I mean, when birth control started, Matt, it was it was. It was started with the very goal of determining who should reproduce and who shouldn't, and who we should have more of and who we should have less have, less of. That should rub you the wrong way a little bit, make you cause and stop and think for a second. Now, I actually respect the Catholic position on this. I'm a Protestant. I'm not a Catholic, Matt, but but because I'm in the pro life movement, I have many friends that are Catholics, of course, and I actually like the Catholic position on birth control. So, hey, if you don't, if you are not going to post this episode because I I infuriate all your listeners right now, so be it. Um, uh, no, this <laughs>
0: one's coming out next week. <laughs>
1: Here we go. (laughs) Children are the only thing. Okay. Children are the only blessing in scripture that seemingly Christian families want less of. Wow. So I know that just packed a punch. Let me say it again. Children are the only thing called blessings in scripture that Christian, modern Christians seem to desire less of. What else are called blessings in scriptures? Money. Money is called a blessing. Friendship. Friendship is called a blessing. Um, uh, like ownership, you know, home, things you own, land is called a blessing. Um, laughter, worship is called a blessing. Lots of things the Bible refers to as a blessing. Children is one of them. Um, in, in, the, in Psalm one hundred nineteen, I forget the psalm, at the end of psalm, children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord. Happy is he or, whose quiver is full of them. Um, so just just think for a second, Christian. Are there any other blessings that you plead with God to have less of? It seemingly only seems to be children. Now, some of your listeners right now, Matt, are thinking this, and and so let me hedge it off. They're thinking, "Seth, that's not practical. You're telling us to just have as many children as biologically possible um, because they're blessings, and so we should just pop them out every ten months. um, And and then I'm going to get evicted because I can't support to feed that many children and I can't afford my rent." No, that's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm saying this. What if God still intervenes in the affairs of men? And procreation was never in your hands anyways. What if, what if God wants to play a role? That's in your procreation, Christian. I've never. What, what if thought about yeah, that? What if what if when pastors preach on stewardship of your finances and stewardship of your home and stewardship of your right? There's always this, a sermon on stewardship in American churches, right? How to steward your money for the kingdom, or steward this, or steward that, or steward your friendships. When have you heard a sermon from American pulpits on stewarding your fertility and procreation as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? What if Christian, when you snipped? What if when what if husband, when you went and snipped yourself? What if God didn't want that? Did you ask him? Did you say, Father, how many children do you want us to have? We want to constantly be giving our sex life to you because you say children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord. You tell us to exercise dominion and to fill the earth and subdue it. The first commandment, by the way, the first commandment in all of scripture, fill the earth, multiply and subdue it. So so I, I think that birth control convinced Americans and too many American Christians, Matt. Yeah. That consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. And that's the very talking point of the abortion industrial complex. They say, they've been saying this for decades. They say consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy, to which I like to say, consent to eating Krispy Kreme for every meal is not consent to obesity. (laughs) Sorry, I'll ask
0: you this before I I let you go. Uh, I'd be lying to you (laughs) if I told you that my wife and I has never used a condom or that when we first got married, she wasn't on birth control. Or that recently I haven't thought about after my fourth kid that I'm going to be getting snipped soon. Uh, I have to ask you out of curiosity. Are you saying that you and your wife just go and you're letting God be God?
1: I will say this. I do not think that using a condom is a moral wrong. Right. Right. The Catholic perspective, however, is that it is. The Catholic perspective, which I think more Protestants should actually think of and read their writings and consider it, they would say no form of contraception, period, whatsoever, full stop. That's the Catholic perspective. I'll say this. If we as evangelicals and Protestants in America had been exercising the Catholic perspective for the last few decades, we wouldn't be in this position in the culture war. Let me just let me just say that statement. And we could unpack that statement for 40 minutes, by the way. So I'm not saying that condoms are a moral wrong that you need to repent of because it's sin. But I will say this. How involved is the Lord in your procreative act called sex? It's a great question. How, how, how are you submitting that to him as the creator of life who determines if you'll have children and how many. Um, And if we had been viewing that, like we're, we're told from pulpits to view our finances, I think we'd be in a very different position in the culture war today. But the bottom line is this, Margaret Sanger understood how birth control could be used to control the fertility and population of people she didn't want reproducing. And so birth control is the Uh, Is the bastard ideological child of Margaret Sanger, the early eugenicists and overpopulation theorists from the early 1900s? It really goes back to the 1700s and 1800s, but really took off in the early 1900s. So then you had the Rockefellers, the Fords, the Carnegies, who were the George Soros and the Bill Gates of their day that were funding Planned Parenthood and eugenics. Um, oh for Christians who were as dogmatic and zealous for their religion in the public square as the religion of secular humanism was for their religion in the public square for the last hundred years. Wow,
0: uh, I have to have you on again. Last question before I let you go because you put this as your goal. You said to abolish abortion and protect every unborn child. Do you really think we can do that, that that is possible?
1: I do I do think just like people did never thought that we would end slavery in America just like the plantation owners and the racists of the of the 1840s and 50s thought that slavery was never going to go away it was constitutionally decided it was settled law however these things take a long time um but there is one institution that used to be able to fast track cultural growth there is one institution that when unified under a common banner can actually take things that take a long time and expedite that process. And that's the blood-bought bride of Christ, the church in America, that has been doing what my pastor Rob McCoy has diagnosed so expertly. We wait downstream as American culture, as American Christians, to pick up human heartache that we helped create through our political apathy upstream. So we launch our ministries of Mercy Matt, and our 501c3s to care for the disadvantaged and broken and hurting people groups whose heartache in in large measure could have been prevented in the first place if you had been being political. The very thing we're told by Tim Keller and Russell Moore and Ed Stetzer and Andy Stanley and all of these rules um, of Satan and the American church today are told to avoid doing. Don't get political, just preach the gospel. There's no such thing as not being political in America. That's a fantasy and a fiction tucked away with the tooth fairy and Santa Claus, Matt. There's no such thing as not being political in America because we, the people, are the sovereign. So you are political in virtue of being an American. Start owning that word as a synonym for responsibility and stewardship instead of letting the left Make the word politics sound dirty in order to keep the politically impotent pastors silent of the blood-bought bride of Christ, whom the left has always feared because they know that when united under a common banner, worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and not Newsom and Biden, will live unashamed, unabandoned, sacrificial lives to their king, and the whole Republican culture will flip upside down for righteousness. If we would care more about righteousness than our own reputations and 501c3 statuses, lest we offend the political sensibilities of our registered Democrats who tithe to our church. That's why we're in the position that we're in. And if the church would wake up and recognize that political action is just responsibility and stewardship, not only could we have a new birth of freedom, to quote Abraham Lincoln, but we'll be able to stare our grandchildren in the eye one day when asked what we did during the scandemic tyrannical stunt called COVID. And we'll be able to look our king in the eye one day when we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, and said, I did everything I could to save your children as an alternative religion was ripping them limb from limb. And Let's finish with this, Matt. Christian, when you refuse to engage the issue of abortion and you remain apathetic and you stand by because you don't want to upset Uncle Bob at Super Bowl Sunday, and you don't want to lose relationships in your church with Democrats who should be called to repentance by their pastor, you're not refusing to engage in alternative politics. You're refusing to engage in alternative religion. This is Satan's pride and joy. Abortion is the sacrament of the religion of secular humanism, because abortion says, you must die so I can live. But Christ says, no, I must die so you can live. I die and I'm raised from death so you can too. If Christ spoke up for us when we were utterly incapable of doing so, how can we not speak up for the preborn neighbors in our midst who were equally unable to speak up for themselves? As the Catholic philosopher Peter Kreft once said, abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy, holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. So Christ says at the final supper and the first communion, this is my body, but I break it for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And the religion of secular humanism and the American culture war and abortion industrial complex today says the same freaking word. As the centerpiece of their entire political project, this is my body, my choice. And I'll kill whatever's inside of my body because the serpent told me in Genesis three, I get to be like a God and a God gets to decide who lives and who dies. And next time, Matt, we'll talk about how abortion is the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life.
0: Wow. You can follow him at Seth Gruber Official. On social media, and you have to type in Seth Gruber official, S E T H G R U B E R official. You have to type all of that in because he's being so censored right now on social media. Seth, thank you. I am going to go home and pray before I put my next condom on. Okay, I said it. (laughs) Eli, bro, that was awesome, Seth. Thank you so much. Seriously.
1: You're a treasure, bro. Thank you. You
0: are. And thank you. Thank you for watching another episode of Level Up. Please like, subscribe, share. And if this got you, maybe you want to dislike and share. I don't (laughs) care. This needs to be out there. Ain't nobody out there talking about abortion or even pro-life the way Seth Gruber is. He's absolutely phenomenal. You can go to Seth Gruber official to follow him everywhere. And then your website is Seth Gruber.com.
1: That's right. And I'm the CEO and founder of the white Rose resistance, which is a story for another podcast as well, but we're the white Rose life, www.thewhiterose.life, a story of Christian resistance in a Holocaust, which is a story we need today.
0: I have watched that the white Rose resistance with Seth. And Winnie he talked about it, uh, I challenge you not to cry when you hear that. It's absolutely unbelievable. Seth, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to another week of Level Up.